So this week, I am sharing a really exciting announcement. And if you're listening live this week, I'm also bringing back one part of my three-part series on how to unlock the power of ChatGPT. And I'm doing both of these things because I just launched a new ChatGPT resource for nonprofits that I am so, so excited about. It's the nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters. So for those of you who are longtime listeners, you have heard me talk about ChatGPT before. I am really bought into this tool. It is not some fancy, super techie tool that needs to be built out and figured out. It should be as integrated into your workflow and as simple as Google Docs. It's a capacity builder and a time saver. And my goal is to make it easy for organizations, particularly small and growing organizations where time and money and capacity are really an issue to tap into the power of ChatGPT. If you aren't, you're leaving capacity on the table and I want to help you solve that problem. So I took the questions and the conversations that I've been having with nonprofits for the last really six or seven months and turned it into a concrete tool, which is one of my favorite things to do. The nonprofit ChatGPT headquarters is an all-in-one workspace that supports you at every phase of using ChatGPT in your workflow, from giving you ideas to giving you prompts that you can cut and paste right into ChatGPT, to giving you an already built out place to save and organize the prompts that you like, the personalities that you try, and all of the work that you do using ChatGPT. So, If you are still on the fence about ChatGPT, listen to this week's episode. If you're listening to a different episode and hearing this preview, head on over to this week's episode and get inspired. And when you're ready to take the next step and start saving you and your team hours of time and brain energy every week, you can head to brookrichiebabbage.com backslash ChatGPT dash HQ and grab the workspace. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast, where every week I do a deep dive into the strategies and mindset behind launching, scaling, and leading a high-impact nonprofit. I'm your host, Rick Ritchie Babbage. Working to make the world a more just and beautiful place is messy, complex, heart-wrenching, and ultimately deeply joyful and fulfilling work. And none of us can do it alone. That's why I started this podcast, this mastermind community, to hold space for and share the learnings and the questions and the grapplings and the actual concrete strategies that allow us to move our social impact work forward together. So welcome to the mastermind. I'm so glad you're here. Hello, welcome to this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind. So today we're going to talk about intentional staff and organizational culture. But before I dive in, I want to share a fun new resource that I'm really excited to release this week. It's coming out this Friday. I have a podcast mini series on how to fund your strategic vision, how to get really clear about what your vision is, how to talk about it in a way that is compelling and powerful to the right people, and how to then get it fully funded. And I'm doing this 
fun mini series with my business bestie, Rhea Wong. She's the founder of the Fundraising Accelerator and author of an incredible book. If you have not gotten it, I highly recommend Get That Money, Honey, The No Bullshit Guide to Raising More Money for Your Nonprofit. So every Friday for the next three weeks, you can tune in to listen to me and Rhea. We've done a couple of podcasts together in the past and we do some training programs together and webinars and have known each other actually for close to 20 years. We were baby executive directors together and not so baby executive directors together and have been on this sort of coaching and supporting nonprofit leaders journey together for a number of years. And we bring our sort of respective superpowers together. In each of the three episodes, we are going to break down very specific strategies that you should think about within each of the three areas of the funding for growth pie, personal and mindset, internal organizational structures and systems, and external relationships and messaging. So it's going to be a great mini series and it starts this Friday. So definitely check back in your feed for special episodes of the Nonprofit Mastermind podcast for the next few Fridays. Okay. So today we are going to talk about culture, staff and organizational culture, and how to create sort of a culture code, an intentional culture for your organization. Now, I've talked about various aspects of staffing and HR on this podcast before. The nuts and bolts of what I call your personnel pathway are super important. The structures, the policies, and the practices around things like hiring and onboarding and supporting the growth and development of your team, that's all really important. But, and what animates your strategies and your systems and your processes And what helps make everything actually work is the culture of your organization. So I wanted to start with an actual dictionary definition of culture because it's one of those words that everybody uses and most people use differently from one another. So the Merriam-Webster Dictionary defines culture as the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterizes an institution or organization. So we can start there as a technical definition of culture. Now, in layman's terms, these are the shared values and norms that people on your team agree to live by. That's how I am talking about and defining culture. Every organization has a culture. That's a really, really important point. Every organization has a culture. You can be intentional and define your culture, or it can be implied and develop on its own. Just like Every person has a reputation or every organization has a brand. The question is, are you shaping it or are you letting it grow on its own and shape itself? So when we talk about implied or organic culture, your culture can be implied through the vision that you articulate for where you're going, through your mission statement, value statements that you put out into the world or even discuss internally, even if these things are not consistently defined on paper. The language that you use to describe what you're doing, how you're doing it, and why lends itself to an understanding or signaling of your culture. Your culture can also develop organically over time through things like the cumulative traits of the people that you hire, the behaviors that the organization sort of invites and on the other end tolerates. These are all things that add to these shared values and norms that the people on your team agree to live by. What I'm basically saying here is 
The shared values and norms themselves can be named and shaped and articulated intentionally, or they can just be there, right? They can be values that are demonstrated by how people treat one another. They can be norms that are demonstrated by how people show up at work in the organization and vis-a-vis one another. And this part about that your team agrees to live by, this can be an explicit agreement, things that are written down, or it can be a tacit agreement that things are just accepted and tolerated. Now, by contrast, intentional culture is shaped. It's defined, it's named, it's discussed, it's planned, and it's reflected in things like team agreements, community norms and practices, and organizational policies. Now, I argue, and for those of you who have listened to me for a while, this probably will not come as a surprise. I argue that the more effective way to build culture the way to make sure it reflects what you actually want it to reflect and that it shapes behaviors and actions and that it lasts is to build it intentionally. That saying culture eats strategy for breakfast, I heard that a few years ago and I love it in particular because I'm a huge strategy person, right? I love strategy. It's my superpower, sort of bringing order to chaos, seeing the strategic through lines and things And yet, strategies don't work, or more importantly, they don't work the way we want or think they will work without the right culture. And I have seen that time and time again, both in positive ways and in ways where the culture is not working. Your culture is the air that your organization breathes or the water that you all swim in. It can maintain or it can undermine the stability of the strategies and structures that you set up. The culture of your organization will shape the ability of your team to constructively disagree with one another, for example, right? When we talk about things like mastery and whether there is space in an organization to try things and to fail forward, your culture influences all of that, whether the best ideas are being put forward by people on your team, whether people feel safe to try things and fail. Your culture also shapes how your staff and even your board, because we're talking about organization-wide culture, how the people that represent your organization show up in public spaces, how they treat one another. Do they gossip? Do they compare themselves to one another? These are all offsprings of culture. All of this is to say that investment in building your organizational culture has to go hand in hand with investment in the right strategies. So what I want to do today is walk through the elements of a strong team and organizational culture. I love a good framework, structure for things, and even something as seemingly sort of soft and fuzzy or esoteric as organizational culture can actually be broken down into its component parts and approached with intentionality and strategy, which I love, intentionality and strategy. So important as you grow an organization. So what are the elements of a strong team and organizational culture? There are four. There are four pillars to think about when shaping your organizational culture. Shared purpose, core values, team agreements, and organizational policies. And I'm going to walk through each of these, what they are, how to think about them in your organization. So the first one that I want to highlight is shared purpose. This is why are we all here? Now, in practice, 
This means having a shared understanding of your organization's mission and vision, as well as the most current strategic plan. Anyone on your team is there for a reason, anyone and everyone, right? They have a personal reason that they're there. That's their why. And you want to make sure that those are aligned with one another. They do not have to be the same. Most often they will not be the same across people on your team. But having people know one another's why, why are you sitting across this table from me? Why are you putting your blood, sweat, and tears into this? Helps build a special kind of trust. We're all in this together. That is what we call trust for action. And it's really, really central, right? It helps build the sense of shared purpose. So that's the personal why. More broadly is this organizational why. Making sure that everyone on your team, and this can seem basic, but it's actually not, understands the mission, not just knows the mission statement, but what does it mean to be successful in doing the work that we're doing? What is our vision for impact? What is this cathedral that we're building, right? I'm putting my blood, sweat, and tears into this work. I'm laying bricks every day. And to what end? What am I part of? So making sure that there is a common and shared understanding of a shared purpose. Everything from, can they state the mission statement? Do they understand what's in the strategic plan? Do they buy into what's in the strategic plan? Down to, are you having regular conversations in your organization about shared purpose, about where and how people see themselves showing up in your shared purpose? So the second is, agreed upon values, core organizational values. So again, I want to start with some definitions. When we think about core, we think center, foundation, right? focal points of a thing. Values are principles, morals, standards, ethics, ideals, right? So with these definitions in mind, when we talk about your organization's core values, We're talking about the ideals, the standards, the principles that are the heartbeat, that are at the nucleus of the organization and that guide your decision-making, your behaviors, and everything that you do, right? The values that make up a strong culture are active. They animate decision-making. They help you figure out how money is used within the organization organization's philosophy on work-life balance and how you support the professional development of your team. These are outgrowths of values, of principles that you have and beliefs that you have about what matters and what doesn't and how things are prioritized. Your core values also relate to how you measure impact and how you define success. And so making sure that everybody understands those definitions, understands those core values, and agrees with them and buys into them, right? We can all as grown people have different philosophies about work-life balance. We can have different philosophies about money and about impact and about success. And so you want to make sure that organizationally you are defining and you are clear about what the organization's values are so that people can locate themselves and say, yes, I agree with that. Or, oh, that makes sense to me. That resonates with me, right? That's part of the shared core values. So core values are active, right? They animate decision-making. Core values are also fixed. Jim Collins, who 
I love. He wrote Good to Great, and that's a business book, but he also wrote Good to Great in the social sectors, which is the sort of nonprofit version of it. If you have not read it, I highly recommend. It's a really quick read. It's great. So he wrote, great organizations keep clear the difference between their core values, which never change, and operating cultural practices, which endlessly adapt to a changing world. I really like that because it really captures the two ways that you want your values to show up in your culture. So the first is, what are these fixed animating core values that are at the heart of the organization that really we should refer to and that should animate our behaviors, our actions, our decisions, et cetera? And then second, what are the ways that values that we have adjust and shift and grow and evolve? For those of you who led organizations or were part of organizations that had to navigate COVID, this question of shifting values or how values show up in different ways to adapt to a changing world became really present for a lot of organizations. Questions around going back to philosophies of work-life balance, questions around compensation and showing up as one's whole self and measuring and defining impact and success. Organizations really had to zero in on what actually are our values here and how are they showing up? So that's the second pillar, right? Agreed upon, agreeing upon values. The third pillar of a really strong organizational culture is a set of team agreements. This is about the team agreeing on how they will behave together and treat one another. So an actual team agreement is a structured document that outlines the expectations, roles, and responsibilities of a team. I really like team agreements. They show up in different ways. These can be you know, community agreements. These can be culture codes. They can be things that people sign when they first join the team. These show up in lots of different ways, but they're usually created collaboratively. There's buy-in and they're agreed upon by all team members. And then there's a formal or structured signing or agreement or opting in. And I think that that opting in is a really important part of having an intentional culture as opposed to an implicit or implied culture, right? You can have wonderful conversations about expectations and roles and responsibilities. That next step of opting in shifts a person's identity. It says, oh, actually, I am agreeing affirmatively to a set of agreements. And so there's some dissonance that's created when you don't adhere to those right? Personally. And structurally, you can go back to people who have opted into a set of agreements and say, hey, we're getting away from our agreements, right? You create a container within which to have healthy conversations about deviations from agreements when everybody has opted in. I think that these agreements, if they work, they should be really clear. They do not have to be long. They can be concise. And they should cover all aspects of the team's work together, right? And by creating an actual team agreement as a pillar of your culture, it creates a safe and structured space 
for everyone on the team to bring into sort of the discussion, how they want to show up, what their needs are, what their expectations are, what their promises to one another are. They can align around all of those and agree to work together in a certain way. So this can be really helpful in preventing conflict. It can also be really helpful in promoting collaboration in smoothing friction that might arise when different team members are trying to work together to achieve a common end goal. So finally, the fourth pillar is organizational policies. You want to make sure that your purpose, your values, and your team agreements are reflected in the bones of your organization. And the policies are sort of the bones, right? They are a codification of the ways that you want to show up in a standard way. So these are things like your HR policies around hiring, around professional development, performance evaluation is a big one, compensation, equitable compensation. What does that mean? How does that work? Things like bonuses come up a lot when I talk with teams about this, right? How do things like bonuses reflect our values and our team agreements? You also want to have external engagement policies, things like strategic communications and fundraising and financial management policies, right? So those are three buckets where you really want to think about how your purpose, shared purpose, your core values, and your team agreements are reflected. HR policies, external engagement policies, and financial management policies. So we talked a little bit about the HR policies, hiring, how are hiring decisions made, what are indicators that you include in your hiring rubric? What does equitable compensation look like? You also want to think about transparency in your budgeting and financial management, right? Are there funders or donors that you won't take money from? Do you have a naming policy for major donors? Like that's a reflection of values and purpose and shared purpose. How do you talk about constituents and clients? Is there language that you do and don't use? Right? I had a great conversation with a, a leader today in a coaching call around the use of the word poor, right? She had board members using the word poor to describe some of their young people. And she said, that's not really organizationally how we want to talk about the communities that we work with. And so I said, well, that you're talking about an organizational value that should be reflected in an external communications policy, right? A strategic communications policy. How do we talk about the work that we do? And if you have a values-based set of rules or agreements, they should be documented, right? That's where these policies can come into play. Okay, so to recap, we're talking about organizational culture and culture eats strategy for breakfast. You can have all of the strategies and systems and structures in place to grow your organization, to lead in a sustainable way, all of the things that I love to geek out around and talk about, those are all super important. But you have to be intentional, equally as intentional about culture or your strategies can fall flat. To build a solid culture, I want you to think about four pillars that we talked about today. Shared purpose, core values, written, bought into team agreements, and clear organizational policies that reflect your purpose, values, and agreement. All of these both build on and feed into one another. And together, they create a really solid container in which a healthy culture can thrive. So I hope that framework was helpful for you. 
And like I said, tune in this Friday for the first of our three-part mini-series on funding your strategic vision. Me and Rhea will be there. Have a great week, and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind. Thank you for joining me for this week's episode of the Nonprofit Mastermind Podcast. If you liked this podcast, I would also love for you to subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you think that what we talk about here could benefit another leader in your life, please share with your friends. Finally, if you'd like more leadership in your life, you can sign up for my weekly five-minute read Leadership Forward 321 newsletter. I send articles, resources, and inspiration every week curated around a leadership theme to help you lead your nonprofit better. You can sign up at richiebabbage.com backslash leadership forward 321. That's it for this week. Thank you for joining me and I'll see you back here next week for more Mastermind.